Um, hey, I'm, I'm excited to uh, continue our Carols of the King series. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 2, and uh, that's where we're going to be camping out. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have the, the scripture up on the, the screen. And uh, while you're finding Luke 2, I just want to say, if you're with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you are so welcome here. We're, we're really glad that you're, you're with us today. I know that it takes a lot of courage uh, to come and be at a church, especially if you're, you're not used to it. You might be here today and be like, this is really weird, and these people are wearing strange sweaters, and they're singing songs, and this is all really strange. But I just want to say, hey, don't, don't feel awkward um, don't feel awkward. It's okay for you to be here, and, and even for you not to believe what we believe, you still are invited to come and be with us and belong. Um, you're, you're welcome here, okay? Even, even if you have questions, even if you have doubts, if you're a skeptic, we're glad that you're here. We'd love to, to process any questions you may have uh, and just uh, get a chance to meet you as well. So, um, thanks for being here. Uh, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be uh, in verses 22 through 35. So uh, go there just to set this up a little bit. This, is, this story takes place about 40 days uh, after the birth of Jesus. So that's, that's where we're picking up Mary and Joseph, bringing him to the temple. And uh, so we'll see what happens. We'll jump in here. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that's Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And, he, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the temple, uh, he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's the word of the Lord. Well, uh, it was probably about 15 years ago, uh, during the Advent season of 2004, I was dating my wife, Rachel, and we had we'd only been dating for a couple of months. And, uh, and at the time, I was working uh, at a mechanical construction company doing plumbing, and I had just recently taken on a job uh, as a parts runner within that company. And, uh, and basically what that means 
is that I would run parts. Um, I know that's pretty technical. Probably flew over a lot of your heads. But, but this, this job, this position that I was in, meant that I would go to these supply stores, and I'd pick up all kinds of parts, and then I would just take them out to our, our journeymen um, at their work sites around the state. And what was really, really great about this job is that uh, I would have to buy these parts from, from all these supply stores that were competing for our company's business, okay? So they're, they're all in, in competition, and part of my job was just to drop into these supply stores, and, um, and then they would have their reps come out and schmooze me, give me free stuff, take me to lunch, right? all sorts of things. Basically, their job was to bribe me. And uh, I, was, I was about 19 years old, so I was there for it, right? I was like, bring it on, man. Try to win me over, right? I was playing hard to get and, and, uh, and letting them uh, just hobnob with me. And so in the lead up to Christmas that year, I was trying to figure out, man, I'm dating this girl, and so I'm trying to figure out what, what gift um, do I need to get her because I was head over heels in love with her. And so I was like, it has to be so good. It has to be so romantic. So I'm thinking... I'll take her to like a, f- a really fancy restaurant and we'll eat dinner and then since I'll be out of money after that, we'll go look at Christmas lights or we'll do something really free and romantic. And uh, so that was, that was kind of my big plan. I'm, I'm thinking about how do, I, how do I do this? Like what's, what's the plan? And so one day I'm, I'm visiting with uh, one of our reps uh, who worked for probably the biggest of all the, the supply stores that we, we worked with and somehow we got into the subject of my, my personal life and what I was going to get my girlfriend for Christmas. And so I'm, I start telling him, man, I'm, I want this to be really special. I want it to be memorable. I want to sweep her off her feet. And um, so I'm telling him about my idea about looking at Christmas lights and having a nice dinner and all those things. And he goes, hey, why don't you take her up in our helicopter? And I was like, I was like, you guys have a helicopter? And he was like, of course we do. And, um, and so I'm like, uh, okay, Yeah. Let's do that. And so immediately, I was all in. And so, uh, you know, I, I, we wrapped up business, and I kind of went on my way. And that was like all I could think about for a couple of weeks. And so, man, I'm thinking about how to make this special. Like, it's way easier now with a helicopter in the mix. And so I'm trying to plan that in. That's a factor. That's obviously a big deal. And so I'm like, man, we'll, we'll do like the Christmas lights. But like, you know, it's way better than like walking with your legs and looking at Christmas lights flying above the Christmas lights and looking down. And so I was like, that's what we're going to do. And so my plan was like, somehow I'm going to, you know, somehow I'm going to surprise her, right? Like somehow I'm going to stealthily board a helicopter with her, not knowing that what we're doing, like she'll be blindfolded. We'll get up there. She'll look down. It'll be so breathtaking. Then we'll go like land on top of the restaurant and then we'll eat. And um, she'll have no choice but to love me at that point. So this will be so romantic, and so for weeks, I'm planning this thing in my mind, and, uh, and then like the week before Christmas, I go into that same supply store, and uh, you know, we, we're talking business and kind of wrap that up, and then I, I kind of casually bring it up. I'm like, hey, um, we, you know, we need to talk about this helicopter thing, and I've got, you know, kind of some plans in mind, and is this the kind of deal where, like, are you going to put me in touch with the helicopter pilot? Do I need to call him? Does he need to call me? And and immediately the dude just loses it. He starts cracking up. And he goes, wait a minute. You actually believed me? You really thought we had a helicopter? Have you ever seen a helicopter here? There's not a helicopter. We don't have a helicopter. I can't believe you actually believe me. And in the moment, I am taken so off guard. I'm blindsided. I'm like, this is my whole plan. 
My world is crashing all around me. And uh, so I did the, the only thing you can do in a situation like that. I just started laughing too. I was like, ha ha, I got you. Actually, the joke's on you because I knew it was a joke and I was playing you because you didn't know that I knew that you were tricking me. And I knew and I knew you didn't have a helicopter. That's so stupid. Why would anybody believe that? Of course not. And so I'm, I'm laughing and I'm pretending like I was just playing along with him, which of course I was not. I was trying to hide the fact that I really just wanted to cry or punch this dude in his lying face, right? Like, that's what I really wanted to do. And so um, here's why I share that story. Because every single person in this room has been promised something before. And then you've waited and you've waited and expectation has, has, has built and then you're let down in the end, right? We've been there, man. We had hopes, we had expectations, we had dreams, only to be let down in the end. And what's, what's happened to us in our culture is that we live in this world where we've grown so accustomed to, to being, being told half-truths or, or just straight up being lied to. We're so used to hyperbole. We're so used to politicians promising us the world. We're so used to culture screaming at us every single year, hey, this is the next new thing. You cannot live without this. You have to have this gadget or this thing. And we're so used to hearing that. And then there's never any follow-through. And we're let down in the end. And the new gadget really isn't all that great. And now we have a, another thing to throw into the, the pile of junk. And what's happen is with, with this world of broken promises, what's happened to us in our culture is we've become jade, jaded and cynical. As a culture, we're so, we're so used to these broken promises. We're so used to seeing the, the covenants around us, and, and, and we're so used to people not being able to keep their word that we've become jaded and cynical. And so when we come to this passage today, we see this man, Simeon, and at the center of his story, he's believing this promise that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And actually, if you even go back to verse 25, you see that not only is he waiting for, for that promise, he's also waiting for the consolation of Israel, who is that same Messiah. So he's waiting on not just the answer to his own personal promise from God, but he's also, he's also waiting on the promise of God to the people of Israel. And so Simeon's waiting. People of Israel are waiting. And as we step into this story and, and view it through our cultural lens of cynicism and where, where we know what it's like to be promised a lot and then to be, to be let down, it's easy for us to feel the angst in this moment, right? It's easy for us to, to feel the angst of a promise that is just hanging in the air. And we're not alone. Think about Israel. Why else do you need consolation unless you've been repeatedly let down and disappointed? And that's the story of the people of Israel, right? So, so think about them. Think about their history. If we go all the way back to the beginning, God creates all things, right? Book of Genesis, the very beginning, God creates all things and all is, is good in the sight of the Lord, right? Everything is perfect. Everything is spotless and without blemish. It's all as it should be. There's no sin, death, tears, no pain. And the best part of it is that the dwelling place of God is with man. And then, Genesis 3, 
everything breaks. Sin enters into the world. Creation falls. Heaven and earth are ripped apart. And then in the middle of it, in the middle of all of that, God makes a promise. I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible says this. This is God's promise to his people. He says, it will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I am coming back for you. This is the promise that God makes his people. This is a beautiful promise. But then, here's what we see. Not for, not for a couple days, not for a couple years, but for centuries. For centuries, that promise just hangs in the air. And the people of God are enslaved. They're homeless. They're ruled by wicked kings. They're exiled into foreign lands. At the time Simeon goes to the temple in this passage, God has been silent for 400 years. And his promise is just hanging in the air. His people are waiting. And so the question we have to wrestle, uh, wrestle with today is this. Does God keep his promises? Does God keep his promises? Or is God like the dad in every 90s comedy that, you know, promises, I'll, I'll, I'll make it to the baseball game. I'll be at the play. I'll make it to the recital. And then the event starts and there's an empty seat and dad's stuck at the office or he's doing something and, he, and he's just this dad that always makes promises that he can't keep. Is that what God's like? Or is God, is God maybe like a fortune cookie who his promises are just so vague, right? He's like, a thing is going to happen, right? And it's going to be something. It's going to be a thing. It totally is. And then something does happen. And, and then all the credulous, gullible Christians are like, see, God did the thing. And then that's what he said. And it's like, no, it was just it was so vague. Anything could have happened. Or does God actually make a promise? and then keep his word. So for the next few minutes, we're going to look at a couple of the ways that God answers that specific question in Simeon's song. Does God really keep his promises? And as we answer that question, there's actually some good news and there's some bad news. So does God really keep his promises? Well, number one, not as expected. Not as expected. And I know that's a real disappointing answer. But consider what the Israelites were expecting, right? They, they were expecting a Messiah. And here's some of the things that they were hoping for and waiting for. A political leader, right? Someone who would come and overthrow the Roman Empire, right? They were waiting for a political leader. In addition to that, they were waiting for a, a religious figure who would come and would restore Israel to her former glory, right? Somebody that the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders of the day would look to and follow and get in line with. Somebody who would restore theocracy. They were looking and waiting for a warrior, someone who would come and who would defeat all of their enemies. They were waiting for a king who would rule forever with justice but what happened, Simeon is expecting these things. He's waiting in the temple, and the Holy Spirit inside of him says, this is it. Here he comes, the rescuer, 
the salvation of the world, the Messiah, this is him, right? Expectation versus reality is a really funny thing, right? So he's, he sees not a political leader, but he sees a family that's really not influential at all. He sees a poor family, a family that can't, can't afford to make the same sacrifice that everybody else makes and sacrifice a, a sheep. What they have to sacrifice is a bird. And so they're, they're this poor family. In addition to that, Jesus, in this moment and in his lifetime, is not, not revered by the religious leaders of the day. Right? Rather, Jesus is scum. He's nothing to them. He's despised. He's rejected. He's a friend of sinners who associates himself with tax collectors and prostitutes and and drunks. That's who Jesus is to the religious leaders. As well, Jesus is brought into the temple and he's 40 days old. He's defenseless. He is no warrior. And Jesus is no king either. He comes into the temple and he is obviously not of a royal bloodline. His parents are peasants. And so in this moment, what we see is that this this Messiah comes and he is nothing like what the people of God were expecting. He's nothing like what what they had hoped for. He's nothing like what they wanted. I'm not saying they couldn't still believe the promise of God, but can you feel their disappointment in this moment? Can you feel sort of the, the air being let out and the, the disappointment start to creep in? Here's how this comes to bear on us because the reality, friends, is that many of us in this room are, are well acquainted with this feeling. We've, we've prayed and we've hoped and we've waited for God to come through that he would bring healing. Uh, maybe, maybe you've prayed and you've asked God to bring healing to your body Maybe you're waiting and hoping, and, uh, and it's not sickness in your body, but maybe in a relationship. Maybe there's a broken marriage. Maybe for you, you've, you've prayed and you've asked God to take away your depression. Or maybe you've prayed that God would come and he would meet you in your infertility and give you a child. And, and listen, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've hoped and hoped and you've, you've expected God to come through and then what's happened is you've experienced disappointment after disappointment and you've experienced frustration when things didn't come together like you hoped they would. Now to be sure, God always answers prayer, but he does so in just one of three ways. Sometimes that answer is yes, and we really do want to celebrate when the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is not yet. And sometimes the answer is flat out no. So if you've ever been in that place, especially where your prayers, you think, they seem to really line up with the will of God, right? You're praying these prayers and you're like, I'm, I'm trusting in the promises of God. These aren't, these aren't promises that I'm like making up. I'm not just asking God for wealth and prosperity and good health, right? Like I'm reading the Bible and I'm reading the will and the words of God and I'm reading his promises and I'm trusting in those. So of course God would answer my prayer and say yes. Like of course, that's his character. That would be consistent. And then you've, you've heard the answer and it hasn't 
been what you thought it would be and all of your expectations have been dashed. Some of you are in that place. And what's crazy is that that is not unique to us. We look at the Old Testament and it's full of these stories of these heroes of the faith, right? These people that we look to and we go, man, you want to see faithful? Um, you want to see people who really fix their eyes on God and just go? Man, this is them. Well, well, here's some of their stories and how their expectations were dashed over and over and over. God promised a man named Abraham that he would give him a son and make him a great nation of his descendants. And then for the next 25 years, nothing. Nothing. You think, you think Abraham ever thought, man, did God forget about me? Did I, did I hear him right? Did I believe in vain? Did I take a wrong turn somewhere back there? Think about Joseph, who at 17 years old, he, he was having these prophetic dreams that his brothers and even his own parents were bowing down before him. It may have been easy for him to think, okay, I had this dream today, and so tomorrow I'm going to be crowned king, and they're going to bow to me. And yet for the next 20 plus years, he's forsaken, he's sold into slavery, he's accused of crimes he didn't commit, he's thrown into prison, he's forgotten. It doesn't sound like an answer to prayer, that doesn't sound like a dream fulfilled. Or think about David, David as a young man was an anointed king and then immediately begins to serve the current king, King Saul, and he starts to fight giants and he starts to have victory and he starts to defeat some of Israel's greatest enemies and it may have been easy for him in that moment to just think man all I need to do now is coast right I'm serving the king I'm in a good spot all I need to do is wait my turn and yet for the next 15 years he spends his time being chased being taunted he's driven away Saul tries to kill him if you ask any of these people hey is this what you expected is this what you thought would happen? Like, does this sound like the dream that you had? Is this what you expected when God made that promise to you? I think like many of us, they would say, hey, actually, this is pretty disappointing. Actually, in this moment, I'm just doing my very best to lift my eyes, trying to trust God. But this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. And some of you are in a season of life where you did not think things were going to go this way. Like you had dreams, you had hopes, you had plans, and now you're like, how did I get here? What has happened? This is not how I saw my life turning out. This is not what I expected. And you're wondering, did I, did I hear God right? Do I understand him right? Did he forget about me? Does he care? For some of you, you're in a moment in your life where the promises of God are just hanging in the air. Let me fast forward back to this scene in the temple with Simeon. In a moment in human history where the people of God were awaiting consolation, they're feeling all of that. They're wondering, is God really going to keep his promise? And as we look into this story, it's really, really hard. I don't know about you, but it's really hard to understand what they're feeling, the longing and the expectation that they're feeling, and then to see the way Simeon seems to be so filled with joy in this moment. So does God keep his promises? Well, if, if it's not what we expected, then what is the good news? Well, here it is. It will always, 
always, always be better. Always be better. Listen again to Simeon's song. Verse 29, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Right? This is God's promise to Simeon. You will not die before you see the Messiah. And Simeon is saying, yes, God. You're true to your word. You've kept your promises to me. And that's not it. He goes on in verse 32. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation for glory to your people Israel. Remember God's promise to Israel? He said, I will come back for you. I will rescue you. Simeon is holding the rescuer in his arms in this moment. This is the consolation of Israel, this baby. And listen, that would be enough, right? Like God made a promise to Simeon and he kept his word. Check. God made a promise to Israel. Double check. But here's what's amazing is there's actually more. Look at verse 30 again. He says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles, right? This is nuts, right? This means that the promise of God is not only good news to Simeon, it's not just good news to the Jews, but it's good news to all people, right? That's what the Gentiles are. That's everybody else. So if you're in this room today and you are not ethnically a Jew, then you're a Gentile, okay? So this is for all people, and here's why that's a big deal. The Israelites, right, they're, they're thinking about these promises in relation to themselves only. But what we see here is that what God is doing, what God's been doing in history and what God is doing in this moment is something that is so much broader and so much wider and so much deeper and so much better than anything anyone could have ever imagined at all. And so this promise is for everyone. You know, the Israelites faced unique things, right? They were enslaved, they were oppressed, they were exiled by physical people, right? Flesh and blood. But when we talk about all people, we are, we're talking about the reality that we are all under a common curse that is more real than what's physical. It's more real and it goes beyond flesh and blood. I think we all realize whether or not you want to admit it, that our greatest enemies in this life are not our social or our political problems. Our greatest enemies, our true enemies, are not the people who disagree with us. There's something deeper and darker and more sinister than your annoying Facebook friend that wants to share all of his political views on the internet, right? There's something, there's something deeper and darker than, than this. There's something beyond even the really gross stuff, right? We, we know there's something there that goes deeper and it's the sin and it's the dark and the sadness of our world and it affects all of us. It doesn't discriminate. Every single person in this room has been touched by sin. You live in a broken world. You know it and I know it. Our true enemies are Satan, sin, and death. And so we need this good news that Simeon is proclaiming. And here's the good news, that this baby is the light of the world that's come to cut through the darkness. A light for revelation for all people. 
That's really good news. And there may be some of you in this room where you're questioning that and you're wondering, man, that's, that seems like it's good news for maybe, maybe some people, maybe most people, but not me. Right? And you don't know my story. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I was last night. You don't know who I've been with. You don't know what I've done to people. You don't know what people have done to me. There is, is no way that this is good news for me. And I just want to say, if that's you, I love you, but you are dead wrong. You are dead wrong. What we're talking about today is not a cute little fairy tale. Like when you think of Christmas, don't think of precious moments, nativity scene. Don't think about silent night. The birth of Christ is a declaration of war. This is God saying to Satan, sin, and death, no more. You're through. It's over for you. It's God keeping his promise to do battle against the snake and to get rid of the dark and the sadness and the sin that we let into this world. And from here on out in the gospel narrative, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is going to beat back the darkness relentlessly, even in his death on a cross. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's every single one of us in this room apart from the grace of God, apart from Jesus. Dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He says, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How is that possible? by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Listen to me. Jesus came into this world to fulfill the promise of God. And in so doing, he takes your sin. He takes that list, that long list of sin, right? And if you're here and you're thinking, man, I'm beyond grace, I'm beyond saving, God couldn't possibly love me or accept me, man, think about this list. And, and on this list is everything that you've ever done that brings you shame, everything that you're, you're embarrassed by. This is all the things that you've done to sin against a holy and perfect God, right? This is, this is everything that you're not proud of. This is all the ways that you've turned from God and run from him and hurt others and disobeyed. These are the things that you look at and you go, man, this is why I'm gross. This is why I'm unworthy. This is why no God that calls himself good could ever, ever love me. And, and then you add to that list a few other things that you forgot to mention because you didn't even see him, only the God of the universe could see him. And you have this long, long list that's standing there and it's pointing its finger at you and it's condemning you and saying, you're right, you aren't worthy. And Jesus takes that list and he nails it to the cross. And if you're in Christ today, your sin does not define you. It's been nailed to the cross. This is the good news that Jesus triumphs over the enemies of God's people. He triumphs over Satan, sin, and death. It's not what we expected. And that's good news because it is so much better. 
Listen, if you're sitting here with some expectation, with some idea of what you think God is going to do in your life, right? You, like some of you, I know that's where you're at. Like you're, you're like, I'm going to counsel God. I got some good ideas for him. Like, God, here's how my life ought to play out. Take notes. And, 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 and listen, just know that if you've got that, you've got that expectation, that's not going to happen. God's not going to do that. And that may, that may let the wind out of your sails, but you actually need to take heart because God's not going to do what you think he's going to do, and that's great news because he's doing something so much better. But the reality is the war isn't over yet, right? So here we are. We're sitting in this room, and... Um, and this feels like a moment where we're supposed to experience some rush of joy, right? We're supposed to be excited right now, right? That's supposed to really lift us. And yet, every single one of us knows there's still brokenness all around us. Still sickness, there's pain, there's suffering. And so we're still here today and we're still wondering if God will really keep his promise, right? We're still wondering that. Towards the end of this passage, Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph, and he says to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This is, a, this is a picture of the reality of Mary, this woman who, as a girl, saw an angel, and he said, you're a virgin, but um, you're going to get pregnant, and it's going to be the Son of God. She's heard these promises, and then she's seen God keep his word and follow through, and yet, what Simeon is saying is, listen, there's going to come a day when you're going to watch this baby boy, you're going to watch your son strip naked, beaten, mocked, crucified. You're going to see him laid in a tomb. There's this moment coming for Mary where, again, she's going to wait for consolation. She's going to She's going to have another day where she wonders, like, is, is this what was supposed to happen? Is this God keeping his word? This, this seems wrong. This does not seem like what was supposed to happen. She's going to wonder, is God really going to keep his word? And if that's you today, if you're in that season, I just want to remind you that the thing we celebrate at Christmas, John I think puts it so well in John 1, 5. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. It never has, not even for a second, and it never will. Jesus came into the world to wage war and even in death, he was victorious. Alistair Begg says it this way. He says, we began with an angel announcing the presence of life where it is, humanly speaking, impossible in the womb of a woman who is a virgin and we finish with angels announcing the presence of life in a tomb. Even in his death, Jesus is victorious. This means that if you are grieving today or if you're anxious or if you're suffering, there is hope for you. 
In the first advent of Jesus, God began to fulfill his promise, the promise that he made in Genesis. He disarmed and defeated our enemies, and today we stand between two advents. Jesus has come. He's coming again. And because the tomb was empty, and because it's still empty, and because Jesus is alive today as king, we can know that the day is coming when God's promise will finally and fully be fulfilled. Every enemy of ours and of his will be utterly destroyed. That day is coming. On June 6, 1944, Eleanor Roosevelt wrote about breaking news, what was breaking news at the time of the Normandy invasion. And that day would go on to be called D-Day. And even though it was uh, more than a year um, before V-Day came, uh, victory was sure in this moment. So here's what she writes. She says, this is the beginning of a long, hard fight. A fight for for ports where heavy materials of war must be landed, a fight for airfields in the countries in which we must operate, Day by day, miles of country must be taken, lost, and retaken. That is what we have to face, what the boys who are over there have been preparing for and what must be done before the day of victory. That day is coming surely, and it will be a happy and glorious day. Friends, in Christ, the day is coming when Jesus will make all things new. All things. The dwelling place of God again will be with his people. Listen, this is true, and it's not just true in like a universal sense, right? This isn't just in a general way God's going to make things new. No, he knows you by name. He knows you and he cares about you and he loves you and he sees you in this moment and the very hands that formed you when you were in your mother's womb are the very same hands that are going to wipe away every tear from your eye. Every tear. How do we know this? We know this because God keeps his promises. He has always kept his promises. And he always will. So how do we respond to this? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's, here's how you respond. Trust the promises of God. He's trustworthy. He's been faithful. He's done what he said he would do. He keeps his promises. And so even if you're in a really, really hard season of life right now, you can actually take heart knowing that in this moment God is working in you and he's forming you. And for us, friends, you gotta hear this. This life is as bad as it's ever going to get. So take heart, take heart. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus came to live the life that you could never live. The perfect, righteous life. Acceptable life. He came and he died the death that you deserved to die. And the offer on the table for you is not for you to work harder. It's not for you to do more. It's not for you to be more religious. Listen, Jesus accomplished everything. The work is finished. He's done it all. And so the invitation for you is to just come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Because apart from him, this life 
This life with all of its pain and grief, this is as good as it's going to get. Simeon says in verse 34, he says, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many. So some of you today, you feel like you're in this place where you're really low. Maybe you feel, maybe you feel like God could never save you, or you're not worth saving. You just you realize how bad you are, how bad you feel. And what Simeon says in this moment, he says, hey, there are some who are really good at elevating themselves, right? There are these people who are proud and self-righteous, and they look really, really great on the outside but their hearts are far from me. And what, what he's saying in this moment is that Jesus was appointed to come so that the proud might fall, but that those who are really lowly might be raised up. And so the invitation for you, if you're far from God today, the invitation is to repent, to turn away from your sin and everything that you've put before Jesus, every other place besides him that you're, you're seeking the good life in is repent, turn away from those things, and be baptized. And in baptism, we see this beautiful picture of a person who's dunked under the water. It's a picture of being, uh, of dying to themselves, of being buried, and then of being raised up in new life. So if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the invitation is to turn from your sin, and turn to Jesus.